0: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You made us, you sustain us, you're working in all things. And this morning we've gathered to give you praise and honor and glory, just like is happening in heaven all the time. And we long for that day when we can join the saints around the throne praising you. And even today, as we're going to sing, we long for a thousand tongues to be able to sing your praises. And even that would not be enough, because you are the one who is good, who is loving, who blesses us, who saved. us. We ask this morning for your help in this service. We're here this morning to sing to you, to give you honor and glory and praise for our singing, but we also need to be able to worship you with our hearts, our minds, our bodies, all of it together. And yet we live in a broken world that it makes it hard to do, so we ask for your help, that you would tune our hearts to sing your praises, that we would be able to see you more clearly through the words of the music, through the preaching. Your spirit is what we need the most. Would your spirit fill this whole service in every element, every aspect of it? Father, this morning there are many of our friends, brothers and sisters that are not here this morning for who knows what reasons, God, I ask. For those who are unable to make it because of health reasons, I ask that you would encourage them, strengthen their bodies, give them healing. For those who can't be here this morning because of jobs, in a world that doesn't take rest, we ask that you would help them to find spiritual nourishment and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ this week. For those that are here this morning because, not here this morning, because they just didn't feel like it. God, I ask that you would press in on them. Help them to see that their joy and satisfaction will not come in walking away or not attending to the fellowship of your people. But the joy that we have together in Christ, pray that you would help them to see that need. But there's other reasons, I'm sure. There's all kinds of reasons. We ask this morning that you would help us, though, with the people that you have gathered here this morning, the community that you've given to us, that we would be um, blessed, that we would bless you, and that um, you would be honored by everything this morning that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. You. Stand with me. son he was a son of the father and he's straight right he wanted his way chased after it and I know this week all of us in some way or another have chased after our own way but at some point we come to our senses and that's what we need to do every Sunday morning to take a second and come to our senses and say God where have I sinned this week God, forgive me, and I'm so thankful that you do this. The son came back, and the son said to him, He came, right? He saw the father running to him to greet him Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, all the great buts in the Bible, right? But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. For this, my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. God's mercy is greater. It's more than any of the sins you've done this week. Any of the sins of your past. Any of the sins of the future. All. Your sins are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's sing. what else Denise Traveling. my son Very very ill, but uh, the conversation was extremely um, helpful, and uh, just he's just a very encouraging spirit. Uh, Even through his trials that he's going through, it was just a really good time to be able to connect with him again. I was able to uh, experience a little bit of reconciliation with someone. Really dear to me. Monday before I headed off for the trip, and uh, things aren't all perfect, but it was, it was, it was good to be able to. Um, good and bad. Some of the circumstances that prompted me to have to be able to see things a little differently from their perspective. But that was.
1: Mary Lynn, for those of you that know her, her surgery got bumped back, um, so I want to remember to pray for her, and uh, I had an update from Steve Banner, I was hoping he'd be here to explain it, but I, I think he's getting some updates as far as what they're going to do with his uh, health circumstances, and I know he's still frustrated because nothing's been done yet, but I to pray for him as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for the fellowship of the saints that we have here today. Lord, I'd like to lift up a few requests before you this morning. Um, uh, We together as a family would bring these to you. One is for uh, Jerry Lynn. Lord, I know there's many in here who have not uh, been able to meet her, but Lord, she is one who desperately needs uh, your intervention in her health. Lord, we would say as well in her spiritual life, but Lord, I would ask that you would work miraculously in her health, Lord, to reopen her eyes to your great provision for all the other needs that she has. God, I just ask for your hand of intervention in her life for those purposes. Lord, I also pray for Steve Danner. God, I ask that you would, um, Lord, just intervene in his life as well and his health. Lord, uh, I know he's frustrated about what the doctors aren't and are doing. And, Lord, I just ask that you would intervene in a way that would get him to the right person at the right time to be able to get some of these problems solved. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Danny, his health, but also for a job. Lord, I pray that you would bring along one that would work with him, and the abilities that he has and that he can do. And I just pray that you'd open that door of provision. Lord, I pray as well for King. Lord, uh, we believe that he is a part of a family already, and Lord, we want to see that brought into a more solid way. And I just pray that anything that could stand in the way of this, Lord, that you would intervene and, and bring this about. Lord, I pray that you would just bless him, bless his family, and bless that adoption. and all these things, Lord, we ask for your continued grace in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. got it. You got it? Yep. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, Genuinely. I love every one of you. I appreciate all of you. I'm so glad you're here. I think that it's always interesting to me when we have a smaller group, although this is big compared to what we used to have. Um, When we get a smaller group like this, It's always a reminder to me that God will decide who he brings here and who he will not, and for what purposes he has. The positives to that are many, but one of them in particular is that I can say with absolute assurity that what I've got for you today is for you, not somebody that's not here. Right? Okay. Um, Even for King, this might even be for King. (laughs) <laughs> um, let me read through the text And then I'm going to pray I'd like to encourage you the, the text that I have at the beginning here I don't have the whole thing This is the text I started two weeks ago And I told you I had to break it into several chunks In fact the sermon that I had a plan for today Got split in half and So you're only getting a half of the sermon this morning Okay, So we're getting a, one little bit And you're going to get the rest of it next week I couldn't get it all into one so let me, uh, let me go ahead and read through this text, and if you would like to look in your Bible, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, I'm just going to read that whole chunk, and I'm going to pray, and then we will break down a little bit more of this, this, uh, this portion of Scripture. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable on the judgment or in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you, Lord, that it has been your gracious will to reveal these things to little children. Lord, I ask that you would reveal the truths that are here to us today. God, I ask that you would guide and direct my words uh, from your word that it would be guided and directed by the very Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you would deliver by that same Spirit, deliver these truths to hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I think the first question that I have, and I think that we all ought to have to some degree or another, is is what does this have to do with us? Okay. In fact, I would say that if you are a Christian and you've been following along, to, to what God has been doing, or you've been reading your Bible, there's passages like this that really stick out to you. You go, what does this have to do with me? I mean, should I m- mock or m- mimic this same form of ministry? I mean, they took nothing with them. and they, I mean, there, there's a lot of passages like that. Is this what our ministry ought to look like? I think that ought to be a question to one degree or another that we all have. I know that for myself, when I read passages like this, and when I first read a passage like this way back, I would remember thinking, is this what I ought to do? Should I just give up everything and just just be out there? I mean, is it wrong for me to do these things? I think those are excellent questions. I think that we have to ask this question as well, because in some way, it does have to do with us. We are all called into the ministry. I shared with you uh, two weeks ago, and I shared again last Wednesday, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And the purpose of that was to equip the saints, it's all of you, for the work of ministry. So we're all called into the ministry. Every single one of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, is called to do ministry. And we're to do this, right, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have we gotten there yet? No. So, okay, so we're good. We know that we're still called to do this ministry for building up the body of Christ. We see this already in the passage that we were talking about with the sending out of the 72. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. I said, can you imagine what the 12 felt like? They'd just been arguing about who's the greatest. And all of a sudden Jesus goes, I'm going to send out 72. And he gives all these people the same authority that they had. And he sends them out. Now I'm going to cover this text with what I'm going to call takeaways. There's three that I'm going to cover today. Okay? So there's three takeaways I'm going to give you today. The first two are simplistic. The third one is a little bit more difficult. But these are three takeaways. And like I said, this is only a half a sermon. Okay? I could not cram all of that we need to talk about into one day. I mean, I probably could have, but we would have been here until late tonight. Okay? And I know that every single one of you are totally up for that. But um, I also know some of you are like, I really want lunch. So we're going we're gonna to just do three this morning. And the takeaways... I think are, and, and the order that I'm covering them are the ones that, what jumps out at you first in this passage is kind of what I, the way I'm going to cover it. What jumped out at me first, what I think for many of us jumps out first in the, the most obvious thing in the text, right? That you go, oh, you know, this, what, what about this? And all three of them I'm going to cover today have to do with what does this whole ministry thing feel like or look like, okay? So let's start with the first one here. The ministry. What does the being in the ministry look like? And I think the first one here is that in many ways it feels like, looks like, but I'm going to go with feels like. It feels like poor pilgrims, or at least it ought to. From the text, we get this. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. That's verse 4, and then I skip down to verse 7. Um, for the laborer deserves his wages, do not go from house to house. There's this dependency, not taking these things with you as you go into the ministry. Now, just so you're like, okay, are we, gonna, are we saying we all have to do this? I want you to know that even before Luke gets over, Jesus actually says this at a later point in the same gospel. In Luke chapter 22, he says, he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? So here he's already reminding them. Do you remember when I did this? Right? He says, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. We didn't lack anything. And he said to them, but now, okay, so already, even before Christ is ascended, he's already giving them, it's not always going to look exactly the same. There is something that's the same in both, but it's not always going to look exactly the same. So notice he says here, he says to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. Okay? So if you were thinking, if you were one of these people that just decides, I'm just going to grab one text of Scripture and base everything on that, you have a problem as soon as you get to this text, because you go, Jesus is already telling them to do different things. Here he says, don't, and then he, later on he says, do. Before I told you this, now I'm telling you this. Take it. And likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. I know some of you are going to get really excited about that part. They would get by swords to be in the ministry. Now, I think what's happening is captured right here. I think that what's happening is Jesus in this, this very beginnings of ministry under this new kingdom is, it's like boot camp for this first 72. I, he wants them to know God will provide. And so he takes away everything they have. He says, you're going to go out like this. God will provide. So he asked them at the end, he says, you remember when I did that? They said, yeah. He said, did, did you lack?" And they said, no, nothing. God will Provide. He wanted to know that if they didn't have anything, they could depend on God. And so these first ones that went out knew and needed to know they needed to depend on God. This is something that lasts. Ministries ministry is like poor pilgrims, yet wholly dependent on God for provision. This is the first takeaway I have for you. There's much that could be said here. I'm not going to get into all of it. Because before we get done with Luke, there's some other passages that are really going to tackle this topic in more detail. But I think that regardless of anything, whether you have a plenty or you have little, if God has called you to minister, you have what you need to do ministry. God will provide. The Apostle Paul would many times work for his own living. Uh, what's the nickname we give to Paul the Apostle because he worked for his own living? What, what do we call that? a tent maker, right? Because Paul knew how to make tents. A lot of times he would work in addition to doing the ministry. And there's passages where he talks about I've worked harder than than anybody else because I'm working night and day for the purpose of this ministry. But I would like to listen to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I want you to listen. This is kind of a longer section, okay? And I hope that you're already going, today feels different the way you're preaching that. This feels different. Okay. It is, because there's, there's ideas that I'm Want to plant here, and it's different and unique for each one of us, just like it was for them. Okay? Listen to Paul the Apostle talking about this idea of having nothing. I think you'll see this captured in here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, it says this. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but but you had no opportunity. Okay, so what he's doing right here, he's talking to this church in Philippi, and he says, you guys were concerned about his needs that he had in ministry. He said, you, you had this concern all along. I knew that, but you didn't have an opportunity to meet the need. Okay. He says, now, but then he, he veers off. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. So I, I get this, too. He's talking about being in need, but he, he doesn't want them to think I'm, I'm like sending you coded messages that you need to send me more stuff. Right? So what's he saying? He goes, now that I'm speaking of being in need. And then he says this, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I think this is capturing what the ministry looks like. There's this contentment. Now there's other things happening here, isn't there? Like you see Paul working for himself. We see that described in other places, but right here he recognizes the importance of sometimes God provides through other people. Now, there's a little seed of thought that I hope gets planted in your hearts. We live in a nation of plenty. And one of the questions we're going to ask, and we'll ask it again in a minute, is why has God given you what he when he blesses you, why? I think John Piper grabs it really well. He says, he says, some people steal to get. That's obviously wrong, right? Some people work to get. And he says, this is where many Christians in our culture, in our society, land. But he said you can also say some people work to give. I think that that's the direction we need to go, and that's the direction we need to think about. Because those that are in ministry, many of them, even according to this text, many of them are depending upon others, and God does this amazing thing where he might bless one hugely and this other one who's ministering is in great need and what do we have the ability to do as part of the body of Christ fulfill the need in that ministry okay listen to the rest of this passage from philippians because i think it just it just it's interesting to listen to paul talk about this playing out and he goes back and forth between recognizing the philippians call to do things for him but also his desire to say, but I don't really need anything. Right? Listen to how he talks about it. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, either extreme he's at outwardly, he always has everything he needs to accomplish the ministry. Same is true of you. But then he goes back, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So he recognizes that they're entering into it. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So this Philippian church, this is exactly why, what's the percentage we have right now of our giving? There's a percentage that goes towards missions. What is our, is it 14? 14%. Uh, we, we try to that, that's, a, that's an important thing I'd love to see us even possibly get to higher percentages And increasing those things Because you've got this guy Herb Hunter Who comes up from South Africa He's in a ministry situation That I have no connection with at all Other than part, But this, what, what did the Philippines do When Paul was in Macedonia They were partnering with him In the spreading of the gospel That is exactly what we do When we assist and support missions Across this globe he goes on to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. You see him going back and forth. <laughs> not that I seek the gift. But I do. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's acknowledging that these things are that they're doing, and so this Philippian church and their blessing that God has given them, and they as they give, it's blessing him, but he sees it not just as a blessing for him. It's their fruit in the ministry. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. So he goes like, out. I don't want you to think I need it. I'm not writing this looking so you think, oh, do we need to write him a check? What's he asking for here? He says, I've got everything. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory, forever and ever. Amen. Understand this, this first takeaway. Jesus wanted them in the boot camp of Christian ministry. He said, don't take anything with you. And that set a pattern for all of us from that point forward. We can trust God. We're like poor pilgrims in this world. But we can trust God to wholly provide for all of our need. Takeaway number two. Ready for the second one? Okay. There's so much more I could talk about that first one isn't there I I'm fe- I'm I was feeling the need to and I thought no no it's not the time this is just some ideas we're planting <clears throat> the second one is this one the ministry is like harvesting laborers anybody in this room I know we live here in Illinois I'm sure some of us have participated helping some farmer somewhere with a harvest anybody ever done that yeah let, let me ask you this is that easy Is it like, I mean, in fact, I always watch when we get to that time of the year when they start harvesting out in the fields, you see those farmers out there all hours of the night sometimes. See, they got those big lights out there, and they're driving, and and, uh, I I I was talking to a guy the other day who he's got a friend who's a farmer, and every year he gets to help. He gets to drive a combine. He teaches music at Danville High School, but he gets to, this is something he does on the side with this friend of his, and, and so he'll put videos up of him in this combine in the middle of the night driving this thing. And it's like, you know, what in the, like, it's a lot of work. I mean, all hands on deck. And this categorizes from our text the message. This goes back to verse 2 in our text. He says, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think that this idea, you must understand, I think this is so Very important. With all the texts that I can take you to on the the rest that God brings and the peace that God brings, there's something about this ministry that also feels like work. Right? There's several places. I'm going to give you one. Romans 16, 12. There's a lot of places where Paul ends his letters with saying, don't think about these people. Listen to the way he describes these people. He says, greet those... Okay, so I'm going to do that teacher thing again. I'm going to pause and let you say the next word, okay? Uh, Greet those workers in the Lord, and I'm not going to pronounce these names right, Tryphania, Tryphosa, Greet the Beloved Persis, who has one more, hard in the Lord. There's something about this ministry that many times feels and can feel like a work. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong when you get into the ministry and you're ministering to someone and you're ministering to people or you're reaching out to people or you're hired. It feels many times like work. And I know that this might for many of you seem like, duh, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who think there must be something wrong with me that I, I feel like I have to labor at this ministry and I'm not just like, oh, I just love it. You ever remember anybody that that's all they profess? They're like, I just love it. I just love ministry. I just, I gave up all my time. It was so hard. I want you to know, it does not always feel that way. Can it? Absolutely. Maybe it does for those people. Maybe there are some people out there that every single day, they're just like, I just love it. But I know for me, I can speak for myself, that when I read texts like this, I go, work hard in the Lord. I know that feeling. You know that feeling when you're, you're working and you're just ready to just, I don't want to pick up another thing. For those of you that have, have had physical labor jobs, when you're just like, I can remember working at McLean and loading the boxes, and there's times of loading those trucks where you go, I don't want to pick up one more box. I'm done. My Every ounce of my body. feels. But you know what? I felt the same way when it comes to ministering. And frankly, there's many times where it feels like when you're ministering to certain people. There are certain that are in great need, and there's much work that needs to be put into them, and it feels sometimes like labor. It is a labor. It is like harvesting labor, but we are to be wholly dependent on God for the harvest. If I was a really good pastor, I would have had everything rhyming or something, because the first one was wholly dependent on God for provision. This one could have been wholly dependent on God for produce. Right? I don't know. But we are. We're dependent. He is the Lord of the Harvest. Does Christ look on the city of Danville and on Vermilion County and say the fields are white for harvest? I think so. I think so. I think he looks across the city and I think he says, he would say, just like he said to that Samaritan village 2,000 years ago, the fields are white for harvest. Pray that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest. There's work to be done. I know in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about work. Work for the night is coming, right? It's how the hymn translated that. Work for the night is coming, but there's no work to be done anymore. There's a day coming, but right now there's work to be done. There are people in this city to be had. Paul talks about some planted, some watered in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but it is God who brings the increase. There's work to be done. We are to do it. And we can trust exactly on the increase from God himself. Those who come are the ones who God has called to do that. I think an important takeaway from this is how we look just how we look at things. There's a, there is a labor element, but when we think about that labor, we can trust that the results are all completely, absolutely in God's good hands. Are there stories in the scriptures of people who worked and worked and worked and get, didn't get to see any increase? How about Noah? Have you ever put yourself in his shoes, his sandals? He was called to preach, God is coming back, the world is going to be destroyed by a flood. How many people heard Noah and bought, like believed it and were rescued? How many people? Nobody, just his family. Yet God called him to preach this impending judgment that was coming. I have that I just can't help but think. Obviously God knew that's what the results were going to be, but yet he called him to do it anyway. God maybe has purposes for your proclaiming that are not just about how many people. Sometimes there's purposes that where you are to be that witness for that purpose of that witness so that on that last day God will say, I sent. They proclaimed and you rejected. Those are hard truths. But for us, work. And it feels like work. Alright, that's takeaway number two. Now takeaway number three. And we're going to do three today. Takeaway number three is going to last a little bit longer. And I think I'm going to delve into this one a little bit more in detail because I think the first two really there's so much of that that we're already like, yeah, we get concepts of that and we're pretty good with those things. But this next one, this next takeaway, as we dig deeper into the text, those first two are kind of on the surface level, this next one is starting to dig into what it looks like, what it feels like to be in the ministry. And this is this next one is where I'm reminding myself, even as I'm talking to you right now. You are here for a purpose. And if nothing else, you're here for this purpose right here. Okay? So listen carefully. This one is directly from the text, what ministry is like. Jesus says it very clearly. The ministry is like sheep among wolves. Now, I've never been a shepherd myself. But I've seen enough nature shows to imagine what sheep among wolves would be like. Do do, do we need to, do I need to pull up a graphic uh, nature video for you? I'm not going to. Some of you are like, yeah! Okay, off the top of your head, when you think about sheep being among wolves, what are you envisioning is going to happen? Dead sheep. Dead sheep, right? (laughs) Torn, limb from limb, devoured, right? Chewed up and, you know, Swallowed or spit out or whatever, right? It's not a pretty sight, sheep among wolves. And yet Jesus says in the text that he sent us out as sheep among wolves. Verse 3 says that. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as, as lambs in the midst of wolves, as sheep in the midst of wolves. In Isaiah, Christ is described as a lamb being led to the slaughter. Are you familiar with that text? We picture that when we think about him headed to the cross, but then he turns around and we see in the New Testament over and again that that was meant to be an example for us to follow. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus also says in John 17 18, as he's praying to the Father, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You are being sent like sheep among wolves. Anybody liking this? You like that idea? Do You like that picture? No. That's what he says. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. There's a uh, a little bit additional that Matthew includes when he quotes Christ teaching on this. He says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, and so he gives us a hint as what this looks like. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I personally like the King James rendering of this. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. <laughs> I'm just saying. But there's something to this. There's a reality that What we're like in this world, this ministry, what does it look like in this world? And there's something about it that is categorized like sheep among wolves. The first question I just want you to start asking yourself is: I'm looking at, I've got a whole bunch of texts in Scripture to help us unfold what does this look like. But if nothing else, just start thinking right now, is that me? How I am in this world, am I like a sheep among wolves, or am I like a wolf among wolves? Or am I like a lion among wolves? What are you in this world? Just start asking the question. I think we get a hand as what this looks like. Why is a serpent's innocent as doves? I'll come back to that thought as we go through these things. Let me give you a few passages of scripture that I think capture this in a more tangible way? The sheep among wolves, that's that's a great mental picture, but what does that actually look like? For us to be in this world like sheep? Let me give you a few. Romans 16, 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Do you see a little bit of that why is the serpent's innocent as doves captured in this? We are to be alike in this world. First of all, our obedience is to be known to all. Can we just start asking ourselves the hard questions? What's a question you might ask of yourself when you read the first half of this verse? Is my obedience known to all? Is that a great question to ask yourself, Monday? <laughs> Ooh. That's that's an excellent point, though.
0: It's a great <laughs> question to ask somebody else in your life:
1: your co-workers, your spouse, your neighbors, your friends. Do they know of your obedience? Is it known to them? It's a good question to ask. Want you to be wise what is good but innocent as to what is evil here's another one Are you guys okay with me just I'm, I just got some passive of school we're just gonna it's kind of like a nice stew and we're adding some ingredients just to just to soak and you're just gonna pop in there and just soak in this okay that's my thought here can you just hop in hop in and just let these scriptures you're gonna get marinated in scripture today okay am I making anybody hungry listen to this next one That you may be blameless and innocent Children of God Without blemish In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation Among whom you shine As lights in the world I would imagine that when you read this text There's a phrase in there That feels very real In the midst of a crooked And twisted generation Are we in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Oh, Oh yeah I knew that would strike a chord we're in the midst of a crooked and twisted, I mean, there's some
2: twisted
1: stuff that's happening in our world. Really off. And man, we could, I know you're like, preach it, Matt, go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> Let's talk about how crooked and twisted this place No, 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 that's not what we're talking about today, though. What are we talking about today? How we are. They're wolves, we know that. But what are you in this world? We've got to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this world. So if you're trying to figure out what does it look like to be a sheep in this world, I think this one paints a great – there's a lot of words in here that just kind of paint a picture of what this looks like in a practical sense, right? Blameless, innocent, children of God. Without blemish, praise be to God that the gospel of Jesus Christ rescues us sinners. Because if this, if this was dependent on us from the start, not a one of us would qualify. But that doesn't mean that we don't strive to live out what Christ has done in us. That we are not to now be, regardless of what we've been, we're now to be like Christ in this world. And these are words that ought to be describing it. Regardless of what, how we can describe man, we could come up with all kinds of words to describe how you used to be. But what are you now? What are you today? This is the goal that ought to be set before you. There's another one. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. infants in evil but in your thinking be mature we can spend a lot of time on that one can we what does he mean by that that might that that's gonna be one of our Wednesday night what is that talking about be infants in evil but in your thinking be mature this next one is a little bit more clear keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable I love Peter Peter is always he writes so very clearly doesn't he he used to tell the differences between Paul and Peter the way they write. Peter, you can tell he was a guy who worked with his hands. He was a fisherman. He was down to earth. And so he says these things. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they're going to do, they're going to speak against you as if you're the evildoer. We don't like that, do we? When we start being, you're the evil ones. You're the haters. You're the... right They start saying, They're the evildoers. But when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 2 Corinthians 8.21 For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. There's some passages in here that we ought to genuinely marinate in for quite a while. <clears throat> Print these out. Read one each morning before we go to work or before we encounter them. Before you go out back into the world, if you go, I want to be like a sheep. These are some texts that might be helpful each morning this week. Titus 2, 7-8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Can I give you—step away from this for a moment. Can I give you—I want to give you three examples of some practical things you may want to or may need to adjust. Okay? The first one is an easy one. Our actions. Our actions. I think that when you read through these, there's some cl- very clear things that we can say that ought not to be. So if you're a, a cheat, no, that's gone. right? Cheat work, no, that's gone. Lazy, of, I mean, that that's a these are great, simple things you can say, what can I start doing this week? I, I'll tell you what, people that milk the clock, you ever, you remember, ever done that before? Right? Just run the clock out. We, we used to have a salute when I worked at McLean. We'd say, we're like, we've got to make this last. It was a short night. And we'd, we'd salute each other from down, down, the, down the dock. We'd go. <laughs> we were milking the clock. No, our actions. There's some clear ones, dishonesty, things like that. But there's, there's more than that. Being the next level, so to speak. Diligent, hardworking. A model of good works. Let me give you another one. Words. Right? Words. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, this is why I've stepped back from my pulpit here. Right? Step back a little bit further maybe. Um, There's a lot to be said, but such such a simple thing you can do as a Christian that sets you apart from the world, and it's your words. I have found, just this is why I'm stepping back. I mean, I could, I could go up here and I could point you some specific passages of Scripture that talk about what sorts of words we use. I want to tell you right now, this is just such an easy one that you can do. Is you, say, you can set yourself apart by the types of words. I'm not just talking about bad words. I'm talking about all sorts of words. There's words that you can use that tear people down. There's words that you can use that can cause division. There's words that you can use that can can highlight and lift up the wrong things. Aside from all the other things, the words that you use can be a great tool that sets you apart. Sometimes just keeping your mouth shut is the best possible thing. People are engaged in gossip in the workplace. Sometimes it's good to go, hey, I just got to run to the bathroom real quick just to get out of the situation. You don't always have to say, I don't want to be a part of your gossip. sometimes it's good just to set that be that model I'm not in any of that I'm not participating in any of that and get out of it you would be amazed at how quickly the words that you use people will start to go you're different what's going on with you there's something different about you and sometimes it's just the words that you used and the way you talk a third one this one is tough. At school, one of the most common phrases I hear in the dean's office is this. I'm gonna treat him or I'm gonna treat her. Now you may be looking at me like, well that sounds nice. <laughs> I say that to the kids every once in a while. What, you're bringing me cookies? Is that what you're doing? You're bringing them cookies, you're bringing them snacks? You're gonna treat them? I love being treated. And they go, no, Mr. Holmes, does not what I mean. There, there's in our culture, especially with our youth today, but I'm telling you right now, it's, it's, it's migrated up into the adults. That if you say anything to anybody that disrespects them or does anything else, they deserve to be, as the kids would say, treated. In other words, I'm going to use my words now, which kind of overflows back to the last one. I'm going to use my words now to put you in your place. Tell you right now, that is not like sheep among wolves. That's like wolves among wolves. Third area that I think that we can say, you know, here's a great way that you can start, and this this one affects the other two, is your temperament. I have a passage of scripture on these these slides. I have this TV in my office that's connected to my computer. I just put different. Got about 20 quotes. I just stick up there. My favorite one to use is from Proverbs, it says the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent overlooks an insult. I love popping. You'd be amazed how many times I show that to a student and I go, can I take a picture of that? I'm like, absolutely. They'll get their phone out so they can take a picture because they want to remember that statement. And I'll tell them, hey, you think you're so powerful because you're, you're vexed by something and I have to explain, vexed Fools show their vexation at once. How many of us, when somebody insults us or derides us or does any sort of thing that negatively impacts us, we get vexed and they're going to find out pretty quick how we feel? I'm going to tell you right now, the vexation of a fool is known at once. The prudent overlooks an insult. There's another one I'd like to show them. Talks about the one who controls his spirit is better than the mighty. And the one who contains his anger is is better than those who can take a city. I talk to them, I'll I'll say, guys, you know, I mean, back in those days, like, to take a city, you know, they had these walled cities, and you take a city, that was a thing, like, man, if you could conquer a city, but the one who can control his own spirit is better than that. I tell you right now, great way that you can begin to live as a sheep among wolves is by not being a wolf among wolves with your words your action but I think it starts with that temperament because some of you go okay yeah I can I can bite my words but your face says it all doesn't it bite at me, I'm going to bite back. Sheep don't do that. Sheep do not bite back. Let me give you a couple more texts. Okay, is this dude getting warm? Is the burner on? two passages I want to share with you from, from Peter. And I want you to listen to how he connects this, this concept. I think he really just latched onto this. We're like sheep among wolves. But he, he really connects it to something something grander from Christ himself. 1 Peter 3 Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? This is hard because it does feel like there are people that could harm us if we're zealous for what is good. It feels like they can hurt us an awful lot. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, you will be blessed, which is... Peter, hold up. How did those two things go together already? But do you see that there's an element about being a sheep among wolves that could look like we get slaughtered but are not hurt. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit in Peter to something he said before this. and I want you to listen again carefully to how he connects this together. Here he's unpacking it a little bit. And I know that probably I should have put him in the other order, but I, I really wanted to get this part down first. What this looks like, feels like. But then I want to, I want to go back to 1 Peter 2. It says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when You sin and are beaten for it, you endure. Good is that. You sin, you suffer consequences, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Just as he was sent into the world like a lamb being sent to the slaughter, so also I send you, he said. Peter says, "This, this is our calling, because he suffered for you, leaving you an example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And he was perfect and yet suffered." When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When you were reviled, you revile in return. That's what we want to do, isn't it? That's wolf talk. Wolves revile Have You ever seen a pack of wolves? I see, I should have gotten more nature show videos. You see a pack of wolves, one sniffs at the other one. What does the other one do? Sniffs back. Right? That's wolf talk. Christ. No. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten And here's how he captures it together. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You realize that when you suffer for good, you're taking such a bold stance. You're saying, I am putting myself in God's hand. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wound you have been healed. And then the sheep metaphor sinks back in, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd. Returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's the thing about this sheep among wolves: the sheep that have been sent among the wolves have been sent by a good shepherd. Does he not say this of himself? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The ministry is like sheep among wolves, but we are to be wholly dependent on God for protection. When we decide to be like sheep among wolves in this world, this is a bold, brave stance we're taking. But it's a stance that says, I believe he's the shepherd. I don't need to be a wolf. I can be a sheep in this This idea carries all the way back to the Old Testament. Exodus thirty-four, thirty-one, And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. God, your sheep in my pasture, your human sheep in my pasture. Isaiah 40, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. There's nothing more powerful in the lives of the sheep than another wolf? No. Wolves don't, sheep don't need more wolves. The sheep need the shepherd. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Hebrews 13, 20-21 Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The ministry is like sheep among wolves, but we are to be wholly dependent on God for protection. Now, this is where I'm stopping. There's a lot more in this passage. There's more takeaways. But this, I thought, you know what? This is, an, this, this, mm, this is a lot. This might alter everything about how you interact with the world. Many of us, if we are honest before God right now, we are like wolves among wolves. And what they do, we do. And if they're going to do it, we're going to do it. If they're going to, we're going to. And I'm going to, and they're going to. And there's a lot Right? Some of you are foaming at the mouth at the world. I don't blame you. It is a crooked, twisted, perverse generation that we live in. But if you want to follow what God has for you, I can say with absolute 100% confidence if you want to characterize who you are in this world, it is to be like sheep among wolves. But you can trust the a shepherd he knows what he's doing to us that seems ridiculous why would a shepherd ever send sheep among wolves but here's here's where the the picture breaks down because I tell you what something that doesn't happen with sheep and wolves that God is doing in our world sometimes those wolves he converts to sheep that doesn't happen in the real world But in God's economy, there are people that are out there biting. You're not going to win them by biting back. Sometimes you might win them by the same way Christ won us. How far did he go for the sake of winning his people? Isn't the picture of the cross? Have we yet gone to that distance for those in the world that are biting against us? I don't think so. Let's go the distance for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. This gospel message is glorious, but the best way you can live it out, or the best way you can display it is by simply living it out the way Christ did, you do. As he was sent into the world, he says, so now I send you. And it's going to look like sheep among wolves. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we soak in the words of that you've given for us today. I ask that you would do your powerful work in our hearts because that's what needs to happen. But Lord, we know that you can do this. Lord, we know that you won for us regenerated people, people who can be made new from the inside out, and you accomplished that great work on the cross. Lord, we know this is true. And so Lord, we ask Not that we would have more willpower to do these things. Not that we would have more willpower to to be good workers. Not that we'd have more willpower to to be more sacrificial in what we do or to to be more like sheep in this world. Lord, not that we'd have more willpower to do those things. Not that we would just have that inner strength. No, Lord, we we, we don't ask that. But We ask that you would change us from the inside out. That your powerful spirit, the same spirit that rose up Christ from the grave. Would now be at work in us in this world. That is our hope, that is our prayer. Lord, there are many in the city of your people. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. I pray that you would send out more laborers into this harvest, more sheep among the wolves. I pray this now, Christ. All right, you guys are dismissed.